But I invite us to open our Bibles, for it makes no sense for a preacher to give stories, but to give one story of the Lord. So turn with me to a New Testament writing, and for that matter, the epistle of the Apostle Paul addressed to the church at Rome, the book of Romans, chapter 16, and reading through from verses 17 uh, to verses 20. And I will read God's word in reference to the ESV version. And if you are there with me, follow dot by dot. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as, as what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Shall we turn to our chief evangelist, the Holy Spirit, and ask for grace and even wisdom as we approach his word. O oh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, the one through whom and to whom will ultimately be things, Lord. And so, Lord, as your church, we gather together, Lord, expectant at heart, O oh Lord, and zealous in spirit to wait unto the Lord to speak. For thou, this is the desire of our, of our hearts, Lord, that all that we shall hear shall be thus saith the Lord. And, O oh Lord, standing behind this pulpit is a servant who desires to be used as a vessel of honor to bring the message of hope, the message of exaltation and encouragement to thy people. I pray and ask, O oh Lord, would you grant me the grace, and to your people would you grant the openness at a heart to welcome the joyous and the good message. In this we have prayed and believed in Jesus' name. The text from which our sermon is anchored on as I have read us through, is the book of Romans. And the book of Romans has been written by the Apostle Paul, a man who would be known formally as the persecutor of the church. So was he that even his name was Saul of Tarsus. The impact and the transformation that the Apostle Paul had not only led to the transformation of the heart, but a consequent transformation of even the name. From Saul to Paul, now we call him. This is the man who approves the first death of the first Christian. That is the man Stephen. And so then we record and read this of him, that in, in, in Acts 8, he breathed out the threats and murder against the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as though that was not enough, the man embarks on a journey to just demonstrate his zeal and commitment to persecute the church. At 241 kilometers away, he, um, he must land to the land of Damascus. Not to preach there or to write epistles, no, but to do and accomplish one thing, persecution. But on the road, the Bible records, he meets the master of master, the Lord of our lords, and all that happened is known to us. And in a flash of a second, the man gets converted. And the man who was formerly zealous to persecute the church, to pervert the gospel, now becomes the man who says, I desire nothing more or 
anything less but to preach Christ and him crucified. And so as the apostle Paul pens down the, re- the, the letter to the, to the church at Rome, he does this while at Corinth. Remember, Corinth is one of the church he founded. But he does this in AD 57. At this time, the apostle Paul had neither planted nor known personally of this church. But on the account of a good report that was given concerning the church, so Paul writes, but with one goal, it is to make a case for justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, with reference to the contextual realities of the people then in the church at Rome. It must be reminded of us that it is on the account of the book of Romans that we had the great reformation in the 1500s. It is upon the reading of Romans 1.16 that now Martin Luther said, truly we cannot go back to the indulgences. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. And so then as we continue in the advancement of the book, we now, account, we now encounter the final appeal, the final exaltation. And if you are privileged to have the Bible that has been titled, and to that message just above it is a title given, the final instructions and greetings. As though Paul had forgotten to give them the greatest message they must hear just before he says goodbye. Because he will soon pass through Spain, but he will pass in Rome to greet them. Even as we get here, our topic, watch out, shall be anchored on this very text, Romans 16, verse 17 through 20. But the question then comes, what does it really mean to watch out? This word has been defined in the Encarta World English Dictionary as being careful, alert, and wary. In other alternative translations of the Bible, remember we are doing the, the complete reference of ESV. And so in other versions, the word would be alternatively translated as mark them, not look out for and strictly observe. All these definitions and alternative translation leads us to the question, what on earth are we to be careful of? What are we to be alert of? What are we to strictly observe? And that advances further, why must we do that? And so we find that the same word or its alternative has been used severally in the scripture. Time might deny us to go step by step looking at each of those scriptures. But we thank God for summary. Now I can be able to summarize five things that the Bible would continually use the word watch out or its alternatives. The first thing that the Bible would always invite its audience and congregation is simply this. Obey God's command. And the presupposition here is that people and those who are part of the fold of Christ can easily disobey God. And so they must be reminded, be careful lest you disobey God. But secondly, to be careful not to forget God. This while being addressed to the Israelites, her people, the commonwealth of Israel, to them was reminded Do not forget the Lord your God who took you away from Egypt. And so then this leads us to a third point of the same word being used to beware of the deceitfulness of the heart of man. 
The need for man to walk in the spirit, not to yield in the flesh, is a matter of urgency. Because slowly and surely our hearts are taken away and we yield to the flesh. And so man must be reminded, your heart is deceitful above all things. But that fourthly, to beware of own hypocrisy and that of others. Oh, man must be reminded that there must be consistency and not discrepancy in orthopraxy and orthodoxy. What you believe and what you do. You must beware that you can easily live a life that you do not profess. But that fifthly and the last point, the same word is used to watch out for false teachers and the false teachings. Oh, we are to look out for these dear ones. I call them in quotes, for they come to us as dear ones. But of importance, this morning or afternoon, worth of our consideration is neither the first, the second, the third, and the fourth point, but is on the fifth point. And it is simply this, to beware of false teaching, to beware of doctrine, false doctrine, and false teachers. Our topic at hand is specifically and emphatically warning us this morning or afternoon. And yet, it is an appeal. Read with me in, in, in Romans 16 verse 17. And now Paul says, I appeal to you. It is an appeal. Brothers and sisters in faith, to this appeal and exaltation is given to a people of God. It is as though Paul is saying what he's saying in Romans 8, I beseech you by the mercies of God. And so in this text, we find the word, I appeal. And so addressing to the saints, those who are part of the fold, not, this is not taken to the world, but the fold must be warned. I appeal to you. And he says to watch out. Notice the next thing that follows, it is brothers. We know that brothers has been used to be inclusive of sisters and brothers. So we are not, this is not a sermon for brothers. It is a sermon for brothers and sisters. And so at this point he says to watch out for those. Oh, these are kind Paul. Because the, 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 the Paul we meet in another portion of scripture is a Paul that is furious on the false teachers. In, in other instances, he would call them dogs in Philippians. In other instances, he would call them evildoers. In other instances, you say angels of the devil, the false apostles, the false prophets, the false teachers, ferocious wolves. But in this instance, ladies and gentlemen, we see that Paul identifies them as those in three respects. And the first respect is this, by their characteristics, but the secondly, by their work they identified. And thirdly, by the effect they have on their victims they identified. And certainly this warning does presuppose to us several realities. But also make us to appreciate why it is important for believers to watch out. And so then in that regard I propose to us seven reasons why we must watch out. The first one I would characterize as in their existence, because of their existence. I've begun off their existence. It would not make sense in, in such a time for me to come and tell you, be warned, at night there might be dinosaurs. They are no longer dinosaurs. They are extinct. And so the reality of the warning presuppose are alive and well. 
amongst us. And so the Bible constantly, times without numbers, identifies these false teachers in plural form to signify not only their existence, but in their majority, if I may use that word. He would say false teachers, not teacher. False messiahs, false prophets, savage wolves. And constantly we see this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, in Matthew 20, verse 29, and in Matthew 24, verses 24. The reality is this, that they exist, but that they are many and they have always existed. We see this in Genesis 3, 1. It is as though their chief father launched it, launched it, launched it all. The presence is a form of... Uh, the presence of these false teachers is as a result of three things I would propose to us. Because we may ask ourselves, where on earth did falsehood come? Now we can say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out. Where did they come from? The scripture seems to suggest three places or forms or whatever we may call it where this falsehood comes from. And the first one is quite surprising. Because it seems as though God takes responsibility. In 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 33 or 23, God says, I have sent deceiving spirit to 400 prophets to deceive Ahab. Because Ahab has rejected the truth. And so the presence of falsehood is as a result of God's judgment. But that secondly, it is the work of the devil. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9, the devil is centered. In 2 Corinthians 11, he is centered. He is the origin, the father of all, all lies. And so the presence of falsehood is as a result of the judgment of God. But secondly, the work of the devil, but thirdly, the demand of the people. Oh, the apostle Paul, while writing to his young protege, Timothy, who would write of these words in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, he would say this, people will not endure sound teaching, but having each in ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away. Notice, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But the second reason I am proposing to us why we must watch out is this. Because it is difficult to identify them. It is difficult to identify them. I mean, you cannot tell me, walk carefully, lest you hit the pulpit. You can see it. But you will be quick to tell me to watch off something that is hard to discover. And so the reality of the existence is that they exist as though they are correct. This is the sad reality which I advance unto us, we must grapple with. That false teachers are many, not only many, but difficult to identify. You may read Matthew 7, verses 15 for inference. They come as sheep, but inwardly they are venous wolves, our Lord says. They appear to be more generous they would come at the gate, in fact, pay our, our, our fares, you know. 
And all oh, unto the rat I submit. All oh, unto the rat that says, Oh, my landlord has been very generous to me and have brought a meal just where I live. The rat must run. And so when the false teachers are very generous, oh, we must run because they are difficult to identify. And Peter, while writing to the very text, most of us, I mean the preacher Nicodemus here, quoted these as the main text. Second Peter verses 2, or chapter 2, the entire of it, in fact, the entire book, they secretly bring in destruction. Notice it is secretly. They don't come in their real form, so they are difficult to identify. But that the third reason why we must watch out, it is because of their destructive nature. There are many we have agreed, they are difficult to identify, but the reality is that they mislead many. Because there are many, so they will mislead many. It is the law of proportionality. They will shipwreck the faith of many. And Second Peter again would recite, and many will follow their sensuality. Now, because I'm in a, an engineering field, by the virtue of being in this university, let me give you what I call the Dennis Law of falsehood. So note this. For every unit of falsehood in a square meter area, it leads to a proportionate addition of a unit of destruction provided the occupants of that affected area do not recognize. So then I propose to ask the fourth reason why we must watch out. We must watch out because we are vulnerable to fall. It is by no means of coincidence, brothers and sisters, for us to be identified in scriptures as sheep. We very well know if we were to summarize who, who a sheep is, we would say two things. Foolish in mind, weak in strength. And so in our foolishness, we find the wisdom of Christ. And so in our weakness, we find the strength of Christ. Even when a sheep is invaded by a predator, it does not bleed. It dies silently. But you who is a victim today, I call you out and say, watch out. The Lord is calling his own and he's saying, my own shall listen to the voice. Not only listen, but obey. The fifth reason why we must watch out is that it reveals God's love for his own. By no means shall anything separate us from the love of Christ. Neither high nor death, neither the demons nor the angels, neither light or darkness, no, not even one. And even in this regard, not even the false teachers will deceive God's people. And so when we receive the word watch out, is a means of grace. It's a means of love from our master. It is a means of assurance of our salvation. The desire for our Lord not at any point to lose his own. So the presence of this warning does suggest to us a possibility and in fact an actual fall of a true believer in the funds of a false teachers. But ultimately, I repeat again, ultimately, John 10 verses 4 says this, Christ's sheep hear the voice. You could have fallen into it, but the master is saying, come back into the sheepfold. You have followed the shepherd who entered via the fence. I am he who entered via the gate. 
And so, and so upon hearing of this warning, it is expected of us. And I repeat, expected of us. Not an option to consider, not a good advice to shelve. It is one thing, his own shall obey his voice. It is not may, it is shall. And so we expected when we hear this warning, we turn away from all forms of falsehood. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs. Let's stop there. Great signs. Now we say one of the, of the guiding principle, hermeneutical principle of interpreting the Bible is that scripture interprets scripture. And so if we go to 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul seems to hint concerning these great signs. And so what does Paul say? Paul says in verse 9 of the same chapter that their signs are great but false. And so the greatness of their sign are great enough to mislead many, as we have seen. But the Lord says, show us. Notice, the target of the false teachers is not the world. It is the church. It is us who profess our Lord. They have nothing to mislead the world about, for the world is already lost. But they have a lot to take from the elect of God. And so a hymn writer wrote the song in Christ alone, and in the last stanza, he says this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I will stand. Shall you stand? I repeat. But that's sixthly, the value of our faith and the purity of the gospel. Paul seems to be one who is writing, one who is astonished at best and at least perplexed of the very reality of the church at Galatia. The church at Galatia had easily departed and abandoned the gospel. And so Paul says, I am astonished. And so in that regard, he says, even if an angel from heaven should come from you and give you any other instruction or teaching, except and apart from what you've heard, let him be anathema. In other words, let him be a cast. And so, and so in cognizance of the purity of the gospel, the gospel that saves, the gospel that sets sinners free, we must protect the gospel. But that the value of our faith, Peter would identify our faith as a faith more precious than gold in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Our faith was expensively procured so as to procure God's people from the slavery of sin and the damage of the evil one. Our faith is not cheap by all means. We can agree that it is free, but it is not cheap. Someone paid dearly for it. For God turned his back and now he cried on that cross. Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Expensively is the gift, but in it, submission, it is free. So it only makes our faith to be an expensive, free gift. And so, brothers and sisters, 
if we fail to understand the purity of the gospel and the value of our faith, we will not act with urgency to protect what the Lord has given us. For a banker would hire a security officer or actually company to guard the bank because of what it harbors. And so in you, you harbor great faith, more precious as gold, and so then you must guard it jealously, just as you would not put a hundred thousand on your table recklessly. If lapina kushinda kueka hold six, unabeba kwa mgongo kama fasti, I did. How much more, I ask, should it be to a glorious gospel, precious faith at best? But lastly, it is an invitation for us to respond. This message leaveth you not as you came in. It must leave you to be alert. And so then, we've known what we are watching against, why we must watch out. But you know what? I leave you as a hopeless Christian if all I can tell you is that the false teachers are many, the false teachers are difficult to identify, the false teachers are destructive in their nature, and yet to fail to tell you how on the earth shall I know them. So that advances our sermon identifying the false teachers. And so then we are introduced to verses 17. I don't use many verses. I, we, we are at Romans 16 verses 17. That's where we are referring. So go back there. And so here, as I proposed earlier, Paul does not call the false teachers actually false, but for those who do several things besides them. And so this hints to us the commitment of Paul to heed to the advice of the master. Because the master said, you shall know them by their fruits. And so Paul enlists to us several fruits which we shall use to identify them in our key text. The reality is this. That the false teachers by appearance they are deceptive. By tongue they are flattery. They are simply smooth talkers. By heart, they do not serve the Lord. Look at the text. The text reads and, and says, verses 18, for such people do not serve our Lord. These men, they are boldly zealous, not for the Lord, but they use God's name, but for themselves. These men will hide behind miracles. And I want to propose to us three reasons why it is difficult. Just before I show you what you are to look out for, let me tell you three reasons that will prevent or hinder us from identifying them. The first one is spiritual laziness. We want to hear the word from the man of God himself, but that man will not sit down and say, what does the Lord say in his word? And so spiritual laziness leads to mass destruction. For a soul that is not tended is an unprotected soul. It is a soul that will easily swayed away. But secondly, allegiance to the man of God more than God himself. If today I dare, that's why I'm so strategic, I, I won't mention even one false teacher. But by the time I'm done, you should be able to know 
And so, if someone was just to touch what your man of God say, you will have a lot of conflict, but you will not have any conflict if a, if a man has a problem with God's word. Oh, harm to them. Thirdly, is that the reality is that they hide behind miracles. To us, it's known a fact of this old preacher at the synagogue, the man Nicodemus, and at night visits Christ and tells Christ, we know very well that there cannot be a man who can do all these things except he comes from the Lord. And so in the Old Testament context and in the Jewish context, they knew this. One evidence that someone has been sent by the Lord is miracles. And so I want you to see the craftness of the false teachers. So now they will start the miracle ministries. It is not gospel ministry. It is miracle ministries. And so in that we are blinded then. We say after all there is power. Maybe someone like me will be told, oh young man with knowledge but no power. But this man would come and hide behind miracles. But notice I told you, our Lord already said they will perform great signs and wonders. But Paul tells us all that is false. The last one I said for Actually, let me give you a bonus. This is a, a takeaway home. You, you dare not throw it away. Put it. Self-wisdom. There is a way that a way seemeth right to a man, but that way leadeth to death. To us, we convince ourselves, I can eat the meat and speed the bones. And so in doing that, we end up being choked. And slowly, but surely, but surely, we succumb to its victimization. My mom used to tell me every time we would fetch water from the rain and would say these words. That would be translated to mean that do not take water that is undecanted because you know rainwater will have to settle. And so these false teachers... Figuratively speaking, they are like this rainwater. And so we are slowly deceived. The water is good, but the falsehood is settling. The more you take it, you see, the first time I listened to him, he is good, good. No, powerful. Powerful. I, was, I almost gave up. He's man of God. He made me unlock mysteries, my brother. So then, Paul proposes three fruits. Three fruits that we are going to check on these men. Notice in our verse, he says, those who cause division. So the first thing, their fruit is division. They are contrasted in verse 20, the God of peace. And to them is given the title, they cause division. So as God is causing peace in his body, the first teachers are dividing the, the body of Christ. How do they do this? They introduce to us superior gifts than others. And so in doing that, they promise us spirituality. And so we pursue, we pursue. The more we pursue, we see others as less spiritual and we gain spiritual pride. 
And so like the church at Corinth, we start debating who is more powerful than the other. And so we say, I am of Apollos, I am, I am of Cephas, I am of Paul. The division they cause and the tension they bring in the church. And so Paul is telling them, watch out. They bring levels of grace, they will tell you. You need to tap a particular grace that seemingly appears to only be accessible to them. And so I ask, is God really omnipresent? I mean, they make some Christian fall under the second class category, causing devotion, divisions. But secondly, they create obstacles. Notice, and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And so the doctrine that a Christian has been taught is that it is Christ who saves. That our Lord and Master stood, mapped at the cross and says these famous, glorious, magnificent three words. It is finished. But oh no, they tell us no. Christ never finished it all. There are sacrifices that ought to be made. You need to know your great-great-grandfather, whether he was a witch, there are things we need to work on. And so in so doing that, a believer, instead of enjoying salvation, is always living in guilt. Could there be a curse was laid upon me? And so it is an obstacle. A believer no longer enjoys Christ. I say I am an evidence of what Christ can do. I was just having a conversation with my mom. And he told me, by the way, the latest courier, my name is Dennis Courier. I was, I was not interested really with the story, but she brought it. The, the, the latest courier, the uncle has changed the name. On the account that it seems all couriers they are thieves. Oh, couriers, they don't get education. Oh, the devil and the false teachers ought to meet Dennis Curry and know that he who is in Christ is set free and indeed. And so they create obstacles. The Lord said at the cross, it is finished. And so no man must create obstacles. You are free if you believe so, they enslave us. We become their slaves, no longer slaves of Christ. But notice, they will use God's name. That is the sad reality. It gets more, con uh, um, it gets more messy. But the third one, I thought I was sweating because of my blazer. It seems this thing is hot after all. The third point, or the fruit for us to look. Look at our text. There we see they serve their bellies. Notice verse 18. For such person do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And we can counter in Philippians chapter 3 verses 19 where Paul says their God is their belly. Directly translated from the Greek root word koilia, literally a belly. 
And so they seem to have played allegiance to my local adage, Modoneda. And so they sought their stomach. Here it is as though Paul is proposing to us that men, these men, do not live for God, but they live for themselves. Oh, but the God in 1 Corinthians 6, who destroys both the stomach and the food, will finally, as part of my concluding statement, destroy them. Because we, we have agreed that falsehood is not new, it has always been there, we must beware. And I repeat, we must beware. The form of falsehood changes, but the falsehood remains. And so the need for us to ask, what are the contextual realities of falsehood in our time? Maybe possibly we look in our, at ourselves and say, Jacob seems to be at good position. We are pursuing the truth. Getting speakers who are leading us to God's truth. And therefore we may not need the phrase, watch out. After all, seems we are safe. But the Roman church, the good report it had, they needed the warm words. Watch out. It is risky for the sheep to be merely fed by the shepherd and left without a fence. Otherwise, they will be preyed on by the predators. And so this sermon is as though is telling us, you are fed, we protect you. Fed protection. And so we need to grapple with the contextual realities of our time. What have these false teachers done? I want to say this, that the false teachers are keen on observing the need of their culture and the people. In other words, they are good economists. They understand the forces of market demand and supply. And so, they analyze our context and the people. Culturally speaking, we are superstitious. We are communal. We are poor. By the virtue of being African, at least we have that. If you're not, you know, you just share somewhere. Brokenness in family. And so they use these gaps to pervert God's truth. These are contextual realities of our time. So these are the gaps. So they have known the need of the people and the culture we are living in. And so they will maximize on these needs. And so they pervert God's truth in seven respects. One, they pervert God's providence. They present to us a God who owns the universe, which is true. A God who blesses those who ask, which is true. A God who wills the good of his own, which is true. But on the basis of this, they tell us, God must give you everything you want. We must align you to the international grace they propose. It is as though God never created the local for us to always desire international grace. Bible, the Bible teaches that God can bless and in fact he does to those who commit to him. He does, but that is not his ultimate form of blessing. Physical wealth is plausible and God gives it. But they are blind of the spiritual wealth that a Christian is also accessible to. So the only wealth for a Christian to desire is dominance of the earth. 
And so we see blessing as a demand to make, not as a privilege to enjoy. So our prayer life changes. We command things. After all, the Lord must give us. It becomes transactional. But remember again, I warn us, lest you live here to think you must not ask. You must ask. For in James we are told, some receiveth not because they don't ask. But what I am presenting to us is the reality of the perversion of God's truth by the false teachers. They take the, the God's providence and pervert it. It is in its reality, but they pervert it. And so in doing this, money replaces God and wealth replaces heaven. Christians no longer look forward for the coming of our Lord Jesus. No! I mean, literally, you go to a church, a prayer it is all about earthly dominance. None sits and says, the Lord, the glorious one, how I long my soul to meet him. Christians who are afraid to die. For Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. For to me to die is gain. A Christian must desire to live, and if he must live, for Christ. And a Christian must look forward. If you are living and you are not looking forward unto Christ, then I charge you this afternoon, go and test your heart. Examine to see whether you still have the faith. For if you cannot look forward to the Savior who has saved you, it becomes dangerous. It means the Savior has been replaced by something else that you look forward to every morning. Secondly, they pervert the gospel. They appropriate to the gospel what the gospel neither has or promises. So they tell us, you are too mature to listen to the basics of the gospel. No Christian is too mature to hear the gospel. Thirdly, they pervert the doctrine of suffering. There seems to be nothing in them that is good to be drawn from suffering. Suffering is all but an indication that the devil is your roommate. And so in doing this, we get bitter. We forsake God because we think God has forsaken us in light of the sufferings we are going through. But all they need to read, Romans 8, 17, for your spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am the son of God. And if I be the son of God, then heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, only if I suffer with him, that I may be glorified with him. If thou shall live in this, in this world, a servant, and I repeat, shall never be greater than the master. You can never desire, the Bible says, the blessing from the giver and reject the giver. And so these false teachers, they pervert the doctrine of suffering, which every Christian ought to derive joy like Job. And he tells to his woman, Oh woman, why do you speak as one who is foolish? Shall we accept the good that come from the Lord and yet reject the evil that he so allows? And so there seems to be one verse from the devil. Is that it is impossible for a believer to believe 
or continue serving the Lord if he be subjected to suffering. And that is the thesis he presents to the God of hosts. But he tries it on Job, it does not work. May it also not work on us. That we shall overcome and say, I suffer with Christ so that I may be glorified with Christ. Fourthly, they pervert the grace of God. They preach to us a grace that saves, but yet a grace that does not sanctify. We can continue sinning, for our bodies are for the world, and our spirits are the ones to fellowship with the Lord. So they teach us that God is not interested with our bodies. So you can live the way you want, but still serve the Lord with your spirit. Fifthly, they pervert the sovereignty of God. God is no longer worshipped in light of his glor glory, but we desire to be like God. They tell us, you are no longer sons of God, you are equals of God. After all, some says, ye are gods. And so, we can also, in the same capacity like God, command things into being. And so shall they. And this yields spiritual pride. You can command the Holy Spirit, you can talk to God as though he's your equal. After all, you are both sovereign. They pervert the sovereignty of God. But sixthly, they pervert the doctrine of scripture. They deny the Bible as the final authority. They elevate special revelation given to specific men of God, only accessible through particular gifts. How can one deny clear truth of the Bible and yet promise us a deeper truth outside the Bible? They tell us, go deeper, and we repeat, go deeper, man of God. But it is deeper to hell, not deeper in the word of God. I believe none has read the entire Bible and understood all of it to now propose, guys, it is time to unlock mysteries. Read the word. Does a man desire to hear God speak? Lead the word of God loudly. You will hear him speak. So lastly, they pervert the Holy Spirit and his gifts. The Holy Spirit, the comforter. The Holy Spirit, our power. We cannot live but by his means. But they present the Holy Spirit as a force. As a disorderly force who seems always, always to not keep time or order. After all, the Holy Spirit is not a respecter of time and order. That is true. But he sets the order. First Corinthians 14, he says, I am the Lord, the God of order. They elevate particular gifts of the Holy Spirit so that we should desire a special impartation from them. Notice, the focus is always them. So for you to access God, it's as though we are being returned to the same, same point in Old Testament. Pass through him to access God. Second last, what is the response in light of this teaching? How should we respond? Look at the main text, Romans 16, verse 17. In 17b, the Bible proposes, avoid them. The Bible does not merely say, consider too. Hang around with them, but be wise. The Bible says, avoid them. In fact, 
This word would further be advanced to mean to shun them, to turn away from them, to escape from them. This phrase demonstrates the danger that the false teachers pose. And so if they are dangerous, with the capability of taking us from the cross, so must we run away from them. Don't be wise in your own eyes, lest you end up in destruction. You must avoid them because they arise from the church and, and come from outside the church with the purpose of deceiving us. Acts 20, verses 28 through 30. To avoid them means do not believe them. Do not believe their word. Do not give them your airtime. Don't follow their practices. Don't attend their conferences. Don't attend their prayer meetings. For by doing so, you are affirming their works. Do not stick around them. The Bible says, avoid them. And so this leads us to the second point as part of our response. Notice again, verses 19. This is Paul's exaltation. He says this, for your obedience is known to all. Now we know that the Lord, our master, would say, those who love me, obey me. And so the church at Rome is commended because they acted in obedience. And so at this point, we are being exalted as believers to respond in obedience to God's word. For one of the greatest hindrances towards identifying false teachers is in lacking God's, is in lacking commitment to God's word. People will perish because of lack of knowledge. You are not only to avoid them, but you are to pursue the truth in the word, just like the Bereans. The security of our faith is in knowing the truth, not in knowing all forms of falsehood. True note helps you to know the false one. And so then our pursuit, even as we avoid them, we are supposed to pursue God's truth. So then thirdly, Paul, in verses 20, the second section, 20b, he says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It is as though a Christian can never survive unless or apart from the grace of God. And so believers are now charged, turn to the grace of God because none is too strong to fall under the deception of the enemy. All must converge together and cry like feeble men and say, sheep we are, foolish in understanding and weak in strength. And so, Lord, we call for your strength. You are not a victim of shakahola, not because you are wise, no, but by God's grace. Today I charge you, turn to God's grace in prayer. The old reminder of a Sunday school student, pray every day, read your Bible. And so, brothers and sisters, my charge's response is simply this, mambo ni matatu. Avoid them, obey the word or pursue the word, and lastly, turn to God's grace in prayer. So then as I come to a close, the first banner of hope. The first banner of hope was though they are hard to identify and there are many, the scriptures say we shall identify them. That's the first banner of truth or hope. 
But the second banner of hope is the fate of the false teachers. They may be thriving now, brothers and sisters. Oh, they may be boasting now, but it is for a time. Their time to be humbled is coming. It is by no coincidence in, in verses 20 that the devil is mentioned. And so Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush the devil to suggest to us that the false teachers have their chief manager, the devil. And so in representation of the judgment by the false teachers, the judgment is proclaimed upon the devil. And so then this will be the judgment. It is like one mentioned in, in, in Genesis 3.15. It is like father, like son. And so it's like father, like son, so judgment shall apply. The fate of the false teachers in the Old Testament was physical death. But, but brothers and sisters, we are not to go and stone them physically. That is not for us to do. We can't judge them. But by judge, I do not mean you cannot put them under the scrutiny of the word. But what I mean is that you cannot take vengeance for vengeance belongs to the Lord. No matter how much you are agitated by their destructive nature. When you open that TV and watch them do things that blaspheme the Lord. You are not even allowed to use vain words, cursing words. For the judgment belongs to the Lord. But that we must expose them. For their condemnation from long time ago is idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Oh, this is good news. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Please don't ask God, why he has still preserved these false teachers, but turn to him in thanksgiving. The Lord, you have enabled me to know how I shall identify them. So brothers and sisters, this is our hope this afternoon. Currently, you will identify them, but ult ultimately, the Lord shall destroy them, for their fate is one, not two. It is not like the sentence of an earthly judge. You choose a bond or, or whatever, or a jail term of this. No, it is one destruction. That is their fate. And so, as I put to a close, it is no longer a question of if or when the first teachers will come, but how we shall recognize them. And I have suggested to us, as proposed by the Apostle Paul, on what we ought to watch out as their fruits. And so then, brothers and sisters in Christ, as I conclude, I wish to give us this exaltation that this topic must not lead you into calling your friends who bear marks of falsehood as false teachers, no. It must lead you to a place of prayer for them that the Lord will open their eyes but not, not only to pray for them, but it must ignite a zeal in you and a passion to spread the truth in them. It is not a turn, it is not a sermon that you leave and you want to throw stones everywhere. No, 
to preach the truth of the gospel. For the primary work of a disciple of Christ is to follow Christ, not to chase after demons. And so, as we go to prayer, I pose the question, are you part of God's do you have the precious faith of our Lord that you leave this room and say, I ought to watch out? Have you tested of the goodness of the Lord and you can boldly say, he is good? Or have you been the servant of the evil one, serving him unaware, oh, this is the good news, Christ's sheep hear his voice. And so the Lord is calling you this afternoon. He cast not any who comes to him. For he says, all ye who are heavily laden, come unto me. My yoke is light and my burden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord is going to save you from all forms of sin that easily entangles our heart. For this is the good news. He who knew no sin, God made sin. Just like sheep we were all lost, led astray, but the master is now standing with a banner. My son, my daughter, come in. The time is fleeting. Do not listen to the voice of the evil one that tells you, oh, I have the next hour. For none knoweth the hour, nor the time, nor even the minute but that the Lord shall come just as a thief comes to steal. Do you believe in Christ? And so then I even do not lead, need to particularly usher you into a moment of spiritual realization, that message if you've heard it, and you've therefore been convicted of that truth, then I charge you, we need to know who you are. And so you must come boldly to the leaders and tell them from today I have decided to follow Christ. For a man is saved by the preaching of God's word. But that are you here born again? But the evil one has distracted you from the way. Like Christian you have followed though temporarily the mountain of legality. And so the Lord is saying, you my sheep who have believed in me, but you have been more allegiant to your man of God than God himself. The Lord is also calling you this afternoon and he's saying, my son, I desire that none be separated from my love, that all may come in, come in for Christ. And so then, I invite us to make our final prayer. And as I do that, just give you 30 seconds of reflection.